Welcome, everybody. I am Rachel Levy Lesser. And I am Stephanie Goldstein. And this is Life's Accessories, a podcast about accessories, clothing, fashion, and the stories behind them. We are two friends who love to accessorize and who remember what we wore on pretty much every meaningful occasion. And that is what we love to talk about. You can follow us on Instagram at Life's Accessories Podcast and also on Facebook. And you can also email us at Life's Accessories Podcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or accessory suggestions. And if you like what you're listening to, we would love it for you to share this podcast with a friend and like and rate and review us. And don't forget to subscribe so that you will never miss a new episode in your feed. And the reviews have been so much fun to read. I take them very personally. And that's good because there's been (laughs) some really good ones. And I'm like, they really like us. (laughs) And you know what? If we get some bad ones and we might, we can't take it personally. We only take the good ones personally. That's right. That's right. And so here's what's exciting today, Rachel. Tell me. Today and listeners, we are talking to a doctor. Yes, a real qualified expert. And when we first started this podcast, dear listeners, we were talking with our friend and author and Gap Henley enthusiast, if you listened to that episode, which was one of our first ones, Amy Blumenfeld. Hi, Amy. Hi, Amy. About- <laughs> go go back and listen to that, everybody. It was episode number two. So good. Fab. It was really fun. Yeah. We talked with Amy about, you know, guests to have on our show. And she told us about Kira. And we were like, let's bring her on because we need to know all the psychology of all these items that we're finding meaning that we're hanging on to and what's it all say about us and we everyone do. else. We do. Now let's back up for a second. Amy, for those of our listeners who remember her, she set Stephanie and myself up to do this podcast. Well, really to do a baking show and then to yes. do the podcast. Get, um, Amy is famous for being a great matchmaker. Yes. And so when she told us to bring Kira on, excuse me, Dr. Bartlett, we were like, obviously, Amy knows who should talk to who. Yes. But but in all seriousness, the more we thought about it, you know, since this podcast came out, we've been talking about the meaning that we that we hold behind these items. And it really goes deep. Like, I remember we talked to Joanna Rakoff about her dress, which gave her yes. the power yeah. to like get a divorce and change her life and sell her right. movie. And we are not experts. We're definitely not doctors. We're not therapists. I mean, I did get my MD from Google, but okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. Google WebMD. WebMD. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously, um, (laughs) and you know, people often tell me their problems. So maybe I have that therapist aura about me. I don't know. Yes. Yes. But we did not go to school for this. And so we know though, from the work we've done, the important work we're doing in the podcast and fashion space (laughs) This is the most important work. It really is. It it actually Um, is. Yeah. No, we're actually not kidding. (laughs) We're not kidding. We love our work. Yeah. And we're changing lives. But anyway, (laughs) Kira is going to tell us a little bit more about that because there definitely is something to that. And I know people who I run into in everyday life now start to tell me not only about their problems, but about their accessories. So Rachel, tell us a bit about Dr. Bartlett. Yes. Let me tell you. Doctor, right. I can't stop saying doctor. What that was from me. He's a doctor. A doctor. <laughs> she, Dr. Kira Bartlett, is a New York State licensed clinical psychologist with over 20 years of successful clinical experience 
with individuals in short and long-term psychotherapy. Her private practice is in White Plains, New York, and in Manhattan. And we will learn more about Kira's practice for sure as we talk to her. And I can't wait to hear what item she's going to bring. Me too. Welcome, Kira. Thank you guys for having me. What a treat. Well, we're so excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I have to ask you the question of the day. What meaningful accessory or item from your closet do you want to talk with us about today? So I am wearing my purple cardigan and it was sort of a tough choice because I knew it was going to be something related to work, but Mm -hmm. I do have a lot of cardigans because I'm not sure if you've ever known this, but becoming a shrink actually means that you start wearing cardigans. (laughs) So oh. um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I do have a lot of them, um, but there's there's a lot of meaning to this one, and also to the to the choice of cardigan as opposed to blazer, which I can get into a little later. Okay, I feel like you're okay. Like, you're like this is like very Mister Rogers esque a little bit. Yeah. Oh dear. Right? I guess what is so. it? But okay. But go into that a bit. What? Mm-hmm. Tell us about the cardigan and okay. you know your line yeah. of work. Talk more. So I am really good at talking. I'm a psychologist, although I'm also really good at listening. That, of course, is the main thrust behind what I do. I have a practice where I specialize mainly in what's called reproductive psychology. So I do a lot of work with new moms, parents, people trying to get pregnant in all different ways, trying to become parents in many different ways. And unfortunately, people who've experienced loss and other challenges along that journey. So I do a lot of deep listening in the work that I do, but I also have to ask people questions that sometimes are a little bit, I don't know, uncomfortable or challenging. But of course, ultimately with the goal for them to be able to see the way that they are living and making choices in a different way. I have, of course, the power of objectivity, but I also, you know, care deep, deeply for the person that I'm talking to and want to help them be able to move forward in a more positive direction. So in some ways, what I thought about when I was trying to figure out which item to use was one of the ways in which the cardigan sort of is symbolic for my growth as a professional. And I was thinking back to, so when I went to graduate school, I was Um, the youngest you could be. I went straight from college to graduate school, which was unusual um, because most graduate schools wanted people who had some life experience. And, but at the time I was really eager to keep going. So I did, which was really great. But what I noticed about the experience of going to graduate school at that stage was that I felt really young and I felt Mm -hmm. like most everyone else in the program was a bit older and kind of seemed like they really knew what they were talking about. And I have to admit, I had a lot of you know, imposter syndrome and thought, oh my gosh, I don't know, have I made the right choice? And ultimately, relatable. Ended up, mm-hmm. Yeah, it ended mm-hmm. up being the right choice, but it was, it was hard in the beginning. And so when I went out into the work world, which happens over the course of the five-year program, you do like different internships and you start to learn and the most, oh my gosh, one of the hardest things about going to a graduate school in psychology is that you start to do therapy with people when you really, frankly, don't really know that much about what you're doing. You sort of are talking and then you're in supervision with a lot of different people. And most of the time you're either recording your work or you're writing a transcript or process note. And then you have to do the the very uncomfortable thing of listening to yourself 
or mm. reading out what you've said. And it is excruciating, but of course it makes you a better clinician ultimately. But so I was always quite nervous. And I remember early on in graduate school that I, I wanted to appear more professional and I felt like everyone would know that I was really young. So I really kind of got myself all, you know, decked out and wore like a blazer, which I thought made mm-hmm. me, mm. you know, really from, professional. From Ann yep. Taylor, maybe? Pro- probably or from Ann Taylor. Or say, Banana Republic. Either probably. I think it might have been, I think it was Ann Taylor. And okay. I'm sure there were a was fair it, amount of um, um, was, it an, was it an acetate fabric sort of uh, like of whatever it was? <laughs> Never a wrinkle. Flammable, ever. right? <laughs> Amazing. It might have yeah. even been pinstripe. I don't remember. Oh, it was business. Wow. Totally meant business. And over time throughout my program, and then ultimately when I graduated, I really, I worked in a lot of different environments and I, I started to learn a lot more and I felt more and more comfortable, but it really wasn't until I would say three or four years after graduate school where I really felt like, okay, now I can really do and say what I want because I really feel like I know what I'm talking about. And you know, the, all of what I learned in graduate school came in handy, Mm -hmm. but I felt like I could be more authentically myself. I have a pretty good sense of humor and I, I like to be sort of engaging. And I, I felt like that was something that could be really helpful to people, but in graduate school and a little bit after, you know, you feel like you're supposed to say the right thing. And sometimes that's not as comfortable to be yourself in those moments. And I didn't feel like I had license to do that. So Interestingly, it was probably three or four years after grad school, I had sort of felt more comfortable in my work. I had started a private practice and it was this sort of interesting transition where I felt like, oh, I think I can take off the blazer and feel, Mm. which maybe was a little bit like armor and then Mm -hmm. really, well, A, be more comfortable because who wants to wear one of those blazers all the time? But B, Mm. I felt like I could relax into the work that I was doing. And so the cardigan sort of represented that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really it's the kind of thing that sort of, you know, you can like wrap yourself in a blanket, which you can't mm-hmm. do in a blazer, but really was kind of a milestone shift for me. And so the, whenever someone asks me about what it's like to do the work I do, I often say, I love what I do. I feel like I'm the luckiest person. I get to be, you know, privy and get to hear people's stories. And I, I really am amazed that I, I still at this stage, I'm like 20 some odd years in, I am amazed that I get paid to do it. I really love my work. So, but I, I often laugh when I think about how my kids, now that they're older, our own mom's going to work because she's wearing her cardigan. Like I really have gotten, so it's become That's like my so brand. Funny. <laughs> it's like your uniform. Yeah. 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 I think other, other shrinks I know agree. It's, it's not an uncommon thread. <laughs> Is there anything in particular about that one in the purple or is that just the one you chose today? It's very um, pretty. It's one I chose today, but partially the other piece, you can't really see it as much in the light, but it's, um, it's purple. And also I think with getting older, um, I've started to become a lot more comfortable in like the last 10 years wearing more color and starting mm-hmm. to like branch out and be a little bit more loud and say the things that maybe I might not have said, you know years ago. So I think in some ways the purple represents like a kind of opening up of, you know, being a little bit more colorful. Here we are on a a podcast about accessories and the meaning behind them. So putting your psychologist hat on, right? We all have these attachments to different things. And what does it say? What does it say about us that we have these special attachments to just items, right? It could be a piece of jewelry. It could be a sweater. It could be 
tennis racket. It could be a hammer, anything. What do you, what do you make of that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there's something that happens for us that has something to do with the way we encode memories. And Mm -hmm. when we are experiencing a kind of higher emotionally laden experience, we are more likely to encode memories more strongly. And we encode them also like very much in our bodies. So when you think about something that has great significance to you, like, you know, a a necklace that your, say your grandmother gave you and you feel really close to her every time you look at it, it's because it it becomes this kind of symbolic connection to these memories and Mm -hmm. particularly memories of people that we may not have anymore in our life, obviously have great meaning, but even without those, you know, even without that loss, there's still this very deep, I think, connection to the encoding of when we got that piece, what we remember doing at the time. I mean, the same thing, I I love your guys' idea for the podcast, because it reminds me so much of how we feel similarly about even, you know, pieces of music or smells. Like, you can hear, especially having to do with the 80s, which is when I was, you know, in in, um, high school, the idea of hearing a song, it just transports me back, you know, and there's something that comes up and all of those memories that are encoded and things like that, or even a smell of a place that you were, it's really powerful. Our brain is incredible and it does really amazing things for us. That's so true. It's funny when you said about wearing items of people that are no longer with us and also the smell, it's funny you said that now, because I just got off a weekend of visiting my mom's sister in Mm. Savannah, Georgia. I lost my mom almost Mm. 20 years ago and it's her older sister who's really become like a mother to me. And I, on purpose, I have a lot of, my mother was a great shopper and a great accessorizer. That's a verb. And so I have a lot of her beautiful things. So I brought one of her scarves with me because I liked it. And Mm. it went with the sweaters I was bringing, but also because it was hers. And I wore it out to dinner one night and my aunt, her sister, of course, knew that it was hers and it still smells like her, which is amazing to me. It's this really cool Kenzo scarf. And so you know, that night it just, it felt appropriate. It's not like we talked about the scarf all night. She's, she said cute scarf and she sort of winked at me. There were other people there and it was sort of like our code. So I so appreciate you saying that. And I feel like Stephanie and I feel validated in having this podcast because yeah. we thought that was well, true, but a doctor told us it was true. I have, I've got this ancient jar, tiny little jar that my mom used to keep in her cupboard and she'd put cinnamon and sugar in it and shake it up. And like, mm-hmm. if we weren't feeling well, and she'd yeah. make what we called fluffy toast, which was pita <laughs> with a little butter and she'd sprinkle cinnamon sugar. Oh. And I said to her, I said to her, as a, as a, as a teenager, probably I was like, mom, I want this when you die. <laughs> You're like, you <laughs> I had this like special attachment to it. Now she gave it to me before she passed. But I mean, even a terrible little jar just means so much. And I'm curious. Are any of these attachments unhealthy? I think we take things, you know, whether they're imbued with someone's smell or memories or, you know, past experiences that we hold on to very dearly and Mm -hmm. we put them in the jar, literally, and we hold them there. And so that's so important. But it also reminds me, you know, in terms of like developmental psychology, when you had you know, young kids, often you see, right, they have this blanket, right? Like the blanket is the most disgusting thing you've ever seen, like frayed edges, smelly, you can't lose it. You have a backup because God forbid, you know, the backup doesn't work. The backup backup doesn't work. work. 
It's fair, fair point. <laughs> it's so true because it doesn't smell the same. No, <laughs> we had like eight of these pink lambs in our house, and there was only one. I'm glad we feel seen, right, Stephanie? Yeah, I that's do. That's, I do. That's really Thank why you. we brought right. you on. Yeah, okay, we're right. done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. that's, that's what I do. That's it. That's I will it. say though, actually, you yeah. asked if, if it can ever be unhealthy, and yeah. I happen to have been listening to something yesterday, or no, earlier today on NPR and they were talking about doing, it was somebody who was like talking about simplifying and decluttering, which of course I was like, mm. oh, I should really do that. Mm. But anyway, they um, were talking about hoarding. And so that would be, of course, an example of unhealthy, right? Unhealthy, because we right, have these things and these things that we hold on to. And I think where, where someone who is more of a hoarder is struggling is they've imbued so much meaning onto so many things. And their fear is that, you know, that receipt that they kept from 20 years ago that could still be needed or might be important is something they can't get rid of. So that's not obviously what we're talking about, but I just, I felt, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that it could get to that. That's really interesting. I feel like I'm in therapy with you. Soon after my mom died, I kept so many of her things. And I remember she wore glasses and I wore glasses. And so I had her glasses made into my prescription and they really looked ridiculous on me because she had a much smaller head. And I, and then I, and I was like, you know what? I don't need, but I don't need to dress up like her. And it's kind of like what you were saying about over the years of you becoming more confident in the therapist you are, I sort of got to know, like, I don't need to, I don't need all these pieces all the time. I don't need to dress up like somebody else. I think that's Mm -hmm. so interesting. I wonder though, too, if that's part of the grieving process, right? Like you needed to hang on to that for a while and then you were ready to let it go. Sure. Not her, but it, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of grief, I find it fascinating to know that um, you work in this um, space of reproductive psychology, which honestly, I don't know that I had ever heard that term before. Can you tell us, I guess, maybe back up a little bit how you got interested in psychology in general, and then how you have this practice in reproductive psychology? Yeah, I'm happy to. So first of all, it's funny because my um, oldest son is now a junior in college and he is sort of, you know, questioning, like, what does he want to do? Where does he want to go next? And um, he asked me more recently, how did you know that you wanted to be a psychologist? Yeah. And so I shared the story with him, which is really quite simple. I was in college and I took an, a, a regular, I think it was just intro to psych, you know, it's this huge, I went to NYU, so it's this huge, huge um, lecture hall. And the professor was amazing. And I sat there riveted. And even in a class of 500 people, I was raising my hand and asking questions, which I didn't think that I would do. And so slowly but surely over the course of college, I started taking more and more classes. And it was sort of that very dumb luck experience of, oh, I love this class. And oh, I did really well in it. And I love doing the reading. Like that wasn't happening in other subjects. So, you know, slowly but surely I started to get the message that maybe this was something I should look into. I did different things in in undergrad and then ultimately decided to apply to graduate school. And so went through graduate school. I did not have this experience or I should say this interest until my own experience of becoming a parent. So my son is 20. And when I was pregnant with him, I was everything was great. I had a wonderful pregnancy. I was one of those annoying people who, you know, (laughs) wasn't sick and very happy and really was, it was, I thought, oh, this is going to be so easy. And then I gave birth, which was quite challenging in a way that I was not expecting for a multitude of reasons we don't need to Mm -hmm. get into here. But then the moment my son was born, I felt as if someone had sort of like pulled the uh, plug out. Like everything just sort of went dead. 
and I was significantly depressed and it's literally started the moment he was born. Wow. And you know, I'm a fairly self-aware person and I'm also, I wear a lot of my, you know, emotions on my sleeve. So I, I, I felt like it was obvious to everyone that I was really struggling, but I think that I was also covering it up pretty well. Mm. And even though I was crying a lot and my mm. husband, who, by the way, also happens to be a psychologist. I know it's oh, really wow. funny, right? I to, want to come like, to your house. For I, I was like, I want to have, come to dinner. Exactly. <laughs> my kids hate it. They're like, oh, <laughs> here they go again. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, amazing. Um, but you know, even he was like, well, you know, do you, do you think that you might be depressed? And of course I was like nursing and sobbing and sobbing and nursing and like just everything. And I was totally in denial. No, my God, how could you even say that? Like right, I, I have this beautiful baby, right? How right. could I be? Wow. Right. Right. And meanwhile, internally, I was having all these thoughts. Like I've made this huge mistake. I should oh. just let him raise the baby. I don't know what I'm doing. It was it was the scariest, scariest experience. I've dealt with anxiety at different points in my life. And I, you know, I meditate because of that. And I find that to be super helpful. And I don't really struggle with anxiety anymore, but I had never been depressed. And so I, and of course I've worked with many people who had, and I heard about it, but I had never felt that Mm -hmm. feeling. It was Mm -hmm. so strange. And, you know, our son was very wanted. It wasn't like I wasn't ready. I I thought it was exactly what I wanted. It was a very strange and unnerving experience. And so after several weeks of, of really struggling, finally, I thought, you know, I, I think it's time to go back. I had been in therapy off and on, of course, having been a psychologist. So I went back into therapy. I even went to the psychiatrist, had a prescription in my hand, was all ready to start taking a medication. And then it was interesting. It was like just having that prescription and being ready to do it. I remember mm. thinking, I think maybe I feel a little better today. And then like mm. every day got a little bit better but it was a couple of months of really significant struggle. After that, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And I can't believe that people deal with this and no one is talking about it because this was a long time ago. Now it's totally, thankfully, so different. Well, here's a question I have about that because I mean, we're all around the same age, right? I remember hearing about postpartum depression when I was pregnant or even before, but I don't remember anyone saying, you know, here's some things to think about. Here are some things, right? Like, is that something that's now part of the conversation for pregnant women? Yeah. I mean, it should be, it seems right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I, so I really felt like, well, I want to figure out how to do this. And I I had been trained to work with adults, but there was nothing in graduate school about this. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had to kind of go back a little bit and get a little bit of extra training. And this one woman who has written many books, Karen Kleiman, she's great. She was one of the first people I did like some extra training with. And she told us this really powerful story that really stayed with me, which is that she was looking to gain more knowledge about this because she herself hadn't had postpartum depression, but she wanted to talk to people. So at the time she put, this was, you know, a long time ago, she put an ad in the paper for people to talk with her about their experience. And she got all these calls and she went to people's homes and sat and interviewed them. But she said it was so crazy because she would get to someone's house and someone would open the door and she'd be like, oh, is it, you know, is it your daughter that I should speak to? And they're like, no, no, it's me. (laughs) These are like 50, 60, 70 year old women who never could talk to anyone about their experience and had still really felt, you know, so strongly about it because it stays with you. So that sort of put me on this road of realizing like, I do want to make well, A, I want to do this work, but B, also to your point, want to make change 
in the system because this is not okay. Because I remember very clearly sitting in my um, OB's office after I had the baby and I knew I was a total mess, Mm. but she was like, so you're okay, right? (laughs) I was like, "Uh, where's the room there? Like, how was I supposed to Right, there's no, right, right. No room. Right. So that, that was sort of a dual focus for me. I was interested and started to get more experience and learning and then trying to really make that part of my practice. I, I became very connected to a group in Westchester called the Hudson Valley Birth Network. And there's, you know, doulas and lactation consultants and midwives and all these people who work with pregnant and postpartum women. So I kind of got connected in that group and that helped me start my practice. But also I really tried to reach out to pediatricians and Mm. OBs and midwives because, you know, yes, this is information that that should be, and now is thankfully conveyed to pregnant women. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also, if you think about, you know, you see your OB or your midwife, maybe once after the baby is born, you see your pediatrician a lot in the beginning. So now what's happening, thanks to a lot of us who've pushed is most pediatricians give out screening inventories to new moms and new dads, by the way, we can't forget because it's easy to fall into the assumption that it's women. We see this in fathers too. We see it in adoptive parents and surrogacy. Like it's not just the hormones. We know that's a piece of it, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's the massive, huge life change. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast, but it's, (laughs) there's a lot of factors and yeah. um, So it's really important. Things are so different, which is connecting, connecting those dots. Right. Yes. So more, more than just checklist, it's connecting yeah. the dots on how yeah. on the whole picture. And, I love- safe, and, and holding the space for someone to be able yeah. to, you know, feel safe enough to say it, which yeah. now I think women are, and people are starting to feel more of, which is yeah. good. It's amazing to see the change because my kids are 19 and 17. So it wasn't spoken about so much when my kids were babies. Um, I'm thinking of, I don't know if you read the book or watched the series. I I did read the book and just finished the series. Fleischman is in trouble. So I read the book and it's, everyone keeps saying, have you seen it yet? I'm like, no, no, there's a whole thing about postpartum and it's, it's, it's really well done. I think Um, that's just kind of a side note, but um, you mentioned meditation before. I actually huh? meditate. I've been meditating mm-hmm. for years. Um, in fact, I texted Stephanie this morning that I was like, I just had a little <laughs> meeting with myself when I was practicing <laughs> yoga and meditating. I had a little offsite <laughs> and my yoga mat and here are some thoughts I had. So um, I'm just wondering how you incorporate meditation into your practice and maybe even with your patients, if you can say, and how that's yeah. affected your life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Often I think my first response is like, well, let me tell you how I, <laughs> how I got to yeah. this. Um, yeah. I have three sons and the youngest um, was kind of a more challenging baby and toddler. And even though he was my third, it was really challenging to hold my shit together. Pardon my mm-hmm. French. And mm-hmm. so I felt like I needed to do something. And I had a couple of friends in my town who were saying, oh, I'm taking a meditation class. And I was like, meditation, okay. You know, I thought it was a little out there. So this was, I don't know, how old is he? So this was maybe like 13 or 14 years ago. And so I went to the class and, um, you know, the requirement she suggested was to meditate 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. And I was like, there's no way that's <laughs> no, no I, will try, nope. I will try at least one <laughs> hard pass on that one. Yeah. yeah. I got to <laughs> sleep. I got to make yeah. sure. I gotta clean at that up. point who would have yeah. time. So I tried it and I r- really was so pleasantly surprised just how good I felt 
moments after the first time I meditated even. And, you know, I got all in my head about like, am I doing it right? Did I get an A plus? Cause I could tend to go in that direction, but, yeah. but I was really profoundly impacted by it. Just seeing myself in this different way of slowing the thoughts down of not of course getting rid of them. Cause that's a misconception. You can't, it's not possible, but it was really, really helpful for me. And what I started to notice, and this was the goal though, one would often say, or one says, you're not really supposed to have a goal when you meditate per se. But my goal was to be a better parent to my youngest son who was really needing me to be calmer. And I was mm. not being calm. It was a really helpful shift for me that when I knew he had a lot of tantrums, he had a lot of challenges. And when I would walk into his room sort of ready, before I did anything, I would just stop and take a breath. And then it just sort of, I could be a little bit more of a, the compassionate mom that I was hoping to be and, and had been with my other kids. So it was really, really helpful for me personally. And I, I think from that point on realized like I couldn't not share this with my clients. This was kind of a life-changing experience for me. And then as I started to, to do more of my own meditation practice and going on retreat and I became a meditation teacher, like I started to learn so much more about the incredible benefits as you know, clearly if you've mm -hmm. done it. So it started to become very clear that especially for clients with anxiety, this would be a huge, huge, you know, skill to teach them. So it's really, actually, it's really cool. I, I do, you know, I, I think what's interesting about being a therapist is that I, I have however many people I see in a day and I'm one way with one person and I'm another way with another person. And the third person is, you know, dealing with a lot of panic. So we're doing a lot of focus on meditation and that, you know, it could vary from, from client to client. But it becomes a part of almost every therapy case that I have at some in some way, shape or form. And I wish someone had taught me to meditate when I was pregnant, because I think that talk about a, a challenging moment, right? It's the middle of the mm -hmm. night, your kid is screaming, you don't know what to do with yourself. Wouldn't it be great if you could just be like, okay, hold on and take some deep breaths and just mm -hmm. center yourself. You're not going to, you know, sit on a mountaintop and meditate at that point, but it was really, really, it would have been really useful. So I do try to incorporate, and I obviously we modify depending on what life stage someone is in. Well, these are such important tools in the toolkit, if you will, right? And, yeah. and I know you're also certified in positive psychology, yet another mm -hmm. tool. So yeah. um, tell us about positive psychology and how you sure. incorporate that into your practice. Yeah. So what's interesting about positive psychology is that kind of a newer branch of the traditional yeah. psychology. And in some ways, traditional psychology is so much about alleviating the symptoms of, you know, anxiety, depression, things that we're dealing with. But what positive psychology strives to do is it takes you, if you, you know, you're in therapy and finally you're feeling better, you're not struggling with these anxious thoughts or these anxious symptoms, then you're kind of at zero, which is good because you don't want to have those symptoms. But positive psychology is really more about like, how do you thrive? How do you flourish? Mm. How do you get to the positive stuff? And there's a lot of different, it can be very skill-based, but there's just a really kind of positive way of reframing. It's not, you know, this like toxic positivity, like everything is fabulous because it's not, we all are going <laughs> to have a fine. wide range of feelings yeah. On, yeah. On the course of a day. Yeah. But it's more about, you know, striving to see the, the, as they say, the blessing of a skin knee, right? Like the challenging experiences that we have trying to figure out how to incorporate, well, what have I, what have I learned? Is there something positive here? Or I remember actually one of the teachers we had 
um, spoke a lot about his fear of public speaking. He happens to be an amazing author and public speaker now, which is funny, but you, you know, he shared the story that he was so anxious about speaking in front of a group of people. And so what he did was he started to look forward to these talks that he was going to give and then mm. would reframe for himself in a kind of very cognitive way. I am excited about sharing this stuff that I love with people. And when he reframed that for himself, he realized, oh, you know, this is the way that I can sort of, you're conquering your fear, but it's sort of like through the back door because it's a, yeah. just reframing the whole experience. Another positive psychology tool I often use with people is a, a gratitude journal, which again, you hear mm-hmm. more about now, but it is really yes. interesting. They say in positive psychology, when you appreciate something, it appreciates. So yeah. if you spend a lot of your time focusing in on things that are negative, then you're going to continue to find evidence for that. But if you try to shift yourself, not always easy, but if you try to shift yourself to think, okay, what went well today or what am I grateful for? Then you start to interestingly look through that lens more, you know, throughout the day. Though that shift is so important. I've, I've, I have found that in my own own life. Mm. And I remember my grandmother used to say, you know, even things with like emptying the dishwasher, right? Mm -hmm. Be grateful you can do that. And right. Because what if you couldn't do that? Um, and, and, uh, our high school principal, hi, Mr. Perry, um, he, he once gave a, 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 a presentation on, you know, how training yourself to say, I get to do this rather yeah. than I have to do this. It, it totally changes your mindset with whatever it is you have to do or get For to do, sure. I should say. That's such yeah. important tool. I do really stuff important. like that all the time. I, I do too. Yeah. It makes a difference. I get to fold the laundry later. (laughs) I often listen to a podcast while I fold the laundry and then I feel like I'm learning while I do it. So there you go. Yeah. 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 So our our listeners folding laundry right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're enjoying it more. Yes, <laughs> there exactly. you go. There you yeah. go. I do use that a lot when it comes to helping clients make changes lifestyle-wise, like thinking a little yeah. bit about, you know, someone who's like, oh, I really should exercise. I know it's good for me. I just can't get myself to do it is shifting that mindset into, I get to do this. I can yes. move my body. I'm lucky. You know, I'm lucky I can walk. I'm lucky I can do all these things. And, and I know I'm going to feel better after, but it, it's really about that perspective. And, and that can be, you know, really anything. I mean, there are definitely moments where people are struggling with their own experience of, um, you know, a challenging child or a, a challenging partner. And, you know, I do in, in a way that of course is not meant to be hurtful or upsetting, but to say, you know, it sometimes helps to have the perspective that there are many people out there that might really want to have a partner or might really be yeah. trying to have a baby. Mm. And, yeah, you know, sure. again, not yeah. that that means you're not grateful if you're not always grateful for your everything you have, because that's, you know, we're human beings and we're going to have a multitude of feelings. But having that moment of being able to come up to the balcony a little bit and see the sort of overarching, bigger, as they say, the, you know, a forest from the trees could be a useful sure. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I remember sitting with my mom having chemotherapy and she was talking with the nurse and she looked at her and they were just you know, chatting back and forth. And my mom just said, I'm so, I feel so blessed because I've met so many wonderful people through this whole process. And I, my, my, like my jaw was on the floor, <laughs> right. But like, there she was calling this disease a blessing because of all these wonderful people she never would have known in her life friends make fun of me sometimes maybe I am 
toxic positivity, but I'm always yeah. like, it's better than it rained today. It's better. <laughs> I get to use my umbrella. Um, if we can um, bring it back to the sweater it's a little luck. bit. Um, I love how you started off by telling us how sort of your cardigan is like your uniform for work. And I'm curious, I kind of was joking about Mr. Rogers before, but is it hard for you to sort of turn off your therapist had at the end of the day, do you actually take off your sweater before you leave your office? You know, it's funny. If you had asked me that in the before times, I would say, sure, I would get home from my office, right. I change out of my clothes. Now I'm working from home most days. Right. I do have okay. one day in the office. Not many people want to come back and be in the, the shrink That's office. Interesting. Anyway. Yeah. They're really happy with virtual. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I definitely have come up and, and this was a pandemic related learning come up with like a kind of um, decompression way for me to shift gears. It involves definitely like shifting in terms of clothes. Not that frankly, I'm not wearing comfy clothes because I kind of am, but um, <laughs> there's a, a shift into different comfy clothes. And then, um, you know, closing down my computer and yep. just sort of like opening my door. I, I have a candle that I light now where I'm working. And so I blow out the candle. I just, oh, really I like really, that. Yeah. It's I like the sock on the door in college. <laughs> right because it, it does now that there's no commute we do we all need to kind of figure out how to differentiate mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And, it, and it is an interesting um I think it's a really important shift for everyone to make if they're working at home and I think that was a more organic thing that happened but yes I do I do take off the cardigan <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny yeah I love it I love it yeah. Kira, this has been absolutely fantastic. Where can our listeners find you? Oh, it's been so much fun. Thank you guys. Um, so you can find me at drkirabartlett.com or um, on Instagram. And I'm terrible at remembering what this is, but I, I want to say it's a bridge home psych. So part of what I also do, I, I didn't mention this, but I have another a kind of a group practice where I have clinicians that I work with and we all are seeing you know, maternal mental health, reproductive psychology um, people. So that's where most of my social media stuff is through that. And we do a lot of, on that page, a lot of really informative Instagram lives and videos and share a lot of really important information in regards to maternal mental health. So that's a, a great place to find me too. That's so cool. We'll, we'll link to all that stuff in our show yes, notes. Great. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Well, Thank we've, we've so learned a lot. Yes. Yes. Thank I you want for to go put on a cozy insight. cardigan. I yes. know. Exactly. <laughs> it was so nice to meet you both. Thank you for having me. It was great Thanks for and being with us. We'll, we'll shout out to our mutual friend, Amy Blumenfeld. Thank you for introducing us all. She's the matchmaker extraordinaire. Yes, for and sure. um, thanks to our listeners for tuning in and we will talk to you all next time. Thanks everybody. Thanks.